Welcome to The Change Lab, a podcast for people who are all about personal development, leaning into their potential and becoming their best self. Just, you know, starting next Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha Hines, and oh, sh- it's Monday. Hello, Change Mavens. Oh, my goodness. I can't even believe this is actually here. By the way, you can't see me, but I'm wearing a very scholarly sweater for my, (laughs) not a lab coat, for our first episode of The Change Lab. I am so excited and, I mean, honestly overwhelmed that this podcast is finally here. I have been incubating this little dream in my head for, gosh, like, I don't know, 18 months. And now it's here. It's real. I mean, hearing the trailer and the music, it was so wild. Anyway, but the irony, (laughs) the irony that it took me about a year and a half to cross that bridge from, you know, just talking about doing a podcast, but secretly being way too chicken shit to do it, to actually making it happen is definitely not lost on me because that's what this podcast is all about, right? The science of growing up, evolving, changing, and doing the very hard work of humaning. Now, I've been professionally preoccupied with the conundrum of how people grow and make positive life changes that stick because I am very personally preoccupied with this problem. My desire to make positive changes in my life is, I'm not kidding, guys, it's profound. (laughs) And if you know me, very enthusiastic. But, and this is extremely annoying, that desire often has very little to do with my capacity to actually make those changes happen. And if I do manage to change my behavior, to make those changes last. So, you know, I imagine that you guys relate to this. I mean, you're here, so (laughs) you probably do. But there's the me who really wants to, I mean, I don't know, take better care of herself, scroll social media less, meditate more, respond in a timely manner to emails and texts before my guilt and shame set in, procrastinate less, go to bed earlier, think before saying yes to an invitation, (laughs) and find more humor and have more patience in the chaos of life. That would be good. I'd really love to change all those things. But then there is the me in the moment who doesn't feel like doing any of those things, and often doesn't, but promises to be better and live her best life tomorrow. This war in my head, this internecine war between the me who wants to positively change and do the things that I know will make me feel better and the me who is just absolutely committed to staying right where I am, it is just crazy (laughs) and it is maddening. And I mean, here's the deal. I bet you, off the top of your head right now, could think of one thing that you could start or stop doing right now to make you feel better, both physically and emotionally. One thing. I mean, we are world-class at pretending to be confused about these things. Like, I don't know. (laughs) But I bet, I'm very certain, that something just popped into your head, right? And I would guess that it's something that you're kind of embarrassed or, you know, maybe even a little ashamed to admit. It might be something that you think is 
ridiculous for you to struggle with at your age. It may be something that you don't like talking about because I've been there. You've tried to make progress so many times that the people in your life are just so tired of hearing you make these empty promises. So, I mean, it may not be you, but this is definitely me, right? And it's brutal. It sucks. And here's the even more bonkers <laughs> and frustrating thing. Even though you intellectually know that making a particular change will improve your life, and even though your sincere desire, and it is sincere, guys, to improve this area, whatever that may be, to make this change, would pass a lie detector test, making a behavioral change, it still can feel utterly impossible, right? But, <laughs> but why? What the heck do we do about this? I actually was just um, working with a client this week. And I mean, quote unquote, this is what she said. She said, I know that exercising would make me feel better, but I just can't get myself to do it. That's it. I mean, if I heard it once, I've heard it <laughs> a thousand times. This is, you are not alone. If you struggle with this, welcome to being a human, right? But since this is such a universal problem, I think we should work through this together here in the Change Lab. Don't you think? I think it's a good idea. So let me back up a little bit and introduce myself and also give you all a little bit of context with regard to my work and how this podcast came to life. So I'm Dr. Sasha Hines, a developmental psychologist and coach. I got my BA at Harvard University, my master's in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania. And I will certainly do an episode on my love for the MAP program. And I was in the first class, which was amazing. And I will do lots of episodes on positive psychology and all of the wonderful research that's come out of that field in the last 20 years. And I got my doctorate in developmental psychology from Columbia University. By the way, the difference between positive psych and developmental psych is really just the subject of our study and research. So in positive psychology, we focus on the causes and correlates of human flourishing. Sometimes people call it, or it has been called the science of happiness. And I would imagine that most psychologists whose research kind of falls under this umbrella probably don't really love that description. <laughs> Maybe it seems a little flimsy. Nonetheless, human flourishing is a very very broad topic. And within the field of positive psych, there are researchers studying many different aspects of well-being, character strengths, grit, flow, passion, creativity, positive emotions, meaning and purpose, values, goal setting and achievement, positive relationships, you know, culture and community, and a lot more. Developmental psychologists, on the other hand, study human adaptation across the lifespan. So we specifically focus on the question of how humans change and develop cognitively, emotionally, and socially over the course of their life cycle. Some developmental psychologists would study very specific periods of time, but in general, most developmental psychologists study child and adolescent development, but I happen to focus on adult development. I, I'm a mom and studying child development made me feel less than, no. <laughs> I don't know. I would just be critical of myself because I would be comparing myself to best practices all the time. And my kids don't need that. They don't need me being nuts. So I really actually turned my focus to adult development because, you know, if we're developing, 
we're probably going to be showing up better with our kids anyway. So it inadvertently turned out that my training in positive psych and developmental psych have actually been a really, really fun mashup and actually have been extremely useful in the work that I do with clients. Like the synergistic relationship between positive psych and developmental psych has been extremely useful. Anyway, so after I graduated from Columbia and got my doctorate in developmental psych, I opened my practice as a coach. And I always wanted to be a coach. I actually didn't want to be a psychotherapist. I really wanted to always work in the space of growth and development. It was always my interest, which at the time that was fairly unusual and not really necessary because you as I will get into, you don't really need those credentials as a coach. But nonetheless, that is what I did. And I started my coaching practice. And you know, over the last eight years, I've worked with hundreds of clients, helping them get unstuck and break through this resistance to change and realize their massive wellspring of potential. And trust me when I tell you that you are capable of so much more than you think you are right now. That is for sure. I love my job. I have the best job in the world. I get to be a part of people's transformation and it is legit the best. But <laughs> I got to admit, the job title life coach, and I know there are life coaches that feel like I do, it's not the best. It's just it's not my favorite. I don't know. It's always seemed like a hokey, lightweight label for those of us who, instead of engaging in the work of psychotherapy, are engaged in the work of psychodevelopment. I mean, I don't even, anyhow. Life coach is not my favorite. I'll leave it at that. It's very strange, but the field of adult development is actually fairly nascent, which is like, why? I don't know. But at least there is now an established field of adult development. And I think this is so fascinating because our social, emotional, and cognitive development, like our, you know, our human development, it doesn't end when we hit 25. And at, you know, 25, we more or less hit our physical maturity. But after that... <laughs> We still have lots of maturing to do in adulthood and there's no structure for us to do that, right? So just like a child, an adult's development can be helped or hindered or even arrested. But unlike children, adults are left to grow up and meet each developmental challenge on their own, right? Without any expert guidance and feedback, relying instead on the wisdom of social media posts, influencers, the end of chapter exercises and self-help books, self-help seminars, inspirational speakers, TED Talks, and if you're lucky, psychotherapy. And let me be really clear here. So I just want to make sure that everybody understands this because I'm hoping that a lot of psychologists are interested in what we're talking about here in the Change Lab. But I am not knocking psychotherapy at all, okay? I am a big, big champion of psychotherapy and I'm very happy that it's normalized and people are much more open and willing to work with a psychotherapist to work through their stuff. Thank goodness. Okay. I have worked with many, many skillful and brilliant clinical psychologists and therapists over the years, you know, who have provided insight, educated me, helped me heal, and oh, certainly kicked me in the pants. So full disclosure, I currently happen to be working with a psychologist right now who just last week actually told me I was overanalyzing an issue that <laughs> wasn't about my childhood, but was actually about me needing to face an adult responsibility. And that was very hard to hear, but true, right? So there are amazing psychotherapists doing awesome work out there and I love it. 
I am also, by the way, a big believer in the rigorous training that clinical psychologists and therapists must go through to get their license. Okay, guys, the coaching profession, and I am a coach, okay? (laughs) But the coaching profession, by comparison, is the wild, wild west for real, right? There's no governing body, no universal standards of competence, and no agreed upon definition of what the heck we actually do truthfully. Okay. So I'm not saying that there aren't exceptional coaches out there. As I said earlier, I've always wanted to be a coach because it was a life coach who truly saved my life in my early twenties. So I, you know, I have been on this path for a long time and that was always the goal. I always wanted to work in helping people grow and develop as a coach, but as a profession, it's fairly unregulated, young and free. So anyway, let me get back to my actual point here. The issue that I'm really trying to highlight here is that if we've learned anything from the explosion of life coaching over the last 20 years, and it's exploded, right? It should be that adults yearn for something more than just treating and healing what's wrong, right? They want guidance in their growth and development. And guess what? We all need it. I mean, why don't we have a licensed track for practitioners who want distinct training, not in pathology, but in positive growth. It makes very little sense to me, but I'm holding out. I'm holding out for the day when it will be just as normal for someone to say that they're working with a psychodevelopmentalist as it is for them to say that they're working with a psychotherapist. I hope I live to see that day. That would be amazing (laughs) because so much of what we struggle with as adults are part of the normal growth challenges of adulthood, not necessarily disease, disorder, dysfunction, and pathology. But okay, this is all a little bit theoretical. So let me give you an example of, you know, a well-known developmental challenge that we face very early on in life, something you probably know very well. So if you've ever spent time with a nine-month-old, right, you might've noticed that at about this age, babies start to cry persistently when their primary caregiver leaves them, right? And we call this separation anxiety. It's a name that we give it. But here's what's important to understand about this. Separation anxiety is normal, right? It's the normal and expected downstream challenge of an infant hitting a very important developmental milestone. So within the first year, a baby's mental framework takes a massive, massive leap forward. I mean, obviously there are many significant growth milestones that happen in that first year, but one of the big leaps that occurs is the development of what we call object permanence. So object permanence sounds very fancy, but essentially what it means is that an infant has developed the cognitive capacity to understand that an object, like a toy or a particular person, still exists even when they can't see them. Before this milestone, a baby has a more simple kind of out of sight, out of mind worldview. If they can see it, it exists. If they can't see it, it doesn't exist. This is why playing peekaboo at this stage doesn't elicit giggles. It just, you know, maybe elicits a blank stare. Infants at this stage are not cognitively sophisticated enough to understand the concept of hiding. They just don't get it. Okay. So developing object permanence is a big mental upgrade because it's the beginning of all these wonderful things. 
symbolic thinking, imaginary play, and memory. And with memory, right, comes more intimate attachment relationships. All of this is a very big deal and a critical part of what makes life wonderful and meaningful. But this positive change, and it is positive change, also means that we ones wake up to a new phenomenon, the sadness, disappointment, and frustration of missing someone or something. So I just want you guys to understand this, right? Like the growth, which is a more sophisticated and expansive worldview, yay, is what has created the challenge, which is the anxiety of being separated from a caregiver or, you know, a beloved stuffed animal, right? And all the tears. So the growth is what has created the challenge. This is what we deal with from cradle to grave. Here's what I want you to consider. We don't fix, you know, quote, fix separation anxiety by never leaving our child's side and avoiding it at all costs. No, we help a child work through it and gain confidence and trust that they'll be okay and, you know, that they haven't been abandoned. We start building a baby's confidence and trust that all will be well in small ways, right? We practice coming and going with a lighthearted game like peekaboo. We then practice leaving a child in the care of another trusted adult for little stints while enthusiastically showing that mommy and daddy return, right? We make a big deal out of our return. Like, hi, mommy's here, daddy's here, we're back, we missed you, right? So we really make the return a positive thing. For the kid. So they begin to trust and recognize, oh, this isn't so bad. The point is, we help infants and toddlers learn to tolerate the angst that is caused by their mental growth and trust that they can handle it. So by the time they reach preschool, right, typically a child will bravely wave goodbye because they've developed a strong sense of trust that their big person will be there at the end of the day. And sometimes, you know, now they do phase in in preschool so that kids can manage that, you know, separation anxiety by not having to stay for so many hours. So you start with a half an hour and then an hour and then two hours, right? You grow their tolerance and their trust. It's going to be fine. I'll be okay. It's not a catastrophe. So these seismic developmental leaps and challenges like this don't just occur in childhood. They also occur in adulthood. But most adults don't realize this and are not educated to see their adult challenges in this way. We're not at all educated to see things in this context, right? So when we're faced with an adult version of separation anxiety, we immediately personalize it and assume that our challenging emotions are unique to our experience, that we're experiencing something unique right? That word effective, something's wrong. Instead of seeing it in the context of the universal process of necessary and positive growth. So I want to make this a little more concrete. What are some of the common issues that adults struggle with, right? That are actually more developmental in nature. So brace yourself. (laughs) People-pleasing, perfectionism, relying on other people's opinions to make decisions, not standing up for or living in alignment with your core values, conforming to social pressure and feeling a preoccupation with fitting in, lacking personal goals or a sense of direction in life, comparing and despairing and judging yourself relative to others, 
and feeling like you don't know who you are, don't have your own self-constructed identity. Are you, are you cringing right now? I'm cringing. Cringing. Right? It's not just my kids that need to mature. <laughs> oh boy. So if you listen to that list and like felt a little convicted, I just want you to know you're not alone. You are in very good company. Because most people, and by most, I mean about 65% of the general population, never develop into psychologically mature adults. It's a little mind-bending. It's a lot, right? But okay, why does this even matter? Why should we be concerned about our growth curve and even bother developing into our biggest and most mature selves? Why? Well, I think it is vitally important for two reasons. The first is this, I guarantee, guarantee that your life has been made more difficult, painful, confusing, and chaotic by a psychologically immature adult or by many psychologically immature adults, right? Mine certainly has been. And I think committing to a life of continual growth, striving to change for the better and trying our hardest not to slime future generations with our nonsense is the noblest of goals. That alone should make all of this very worth it, right? The second reason to care about your adult development is this. If it's happiness you're after, and most people are, it's high on the list of goals for most people. They want to be happy and they want their kids to be happy, right? You've got to put the own up in grown up the requirement. Psychological maturity is predictive of well-being. So that means the more psychologically mature you are, the more likely you are to self-report as being high in well-being. And I'll put a link of the study that I'm referencing in the show notes for those who are interested. But anyhow, in this study, it was published in 2020, the participants who were rated as more psychologically mature we're significantly more likely to agree with the following statements. And these statements are from Ed Diener's Satisfaction with Life Scale. So anyway, if you're interested, that's where this is from. Anyhow, more psychologically mature people were significantly more likely to agree with these statements. In most ways, my life is close to my ideal. The conditions of my life are excellent. I'm satisfied with my life. So far, I've gotten the important things I want in life. If I could live my life over, I would change almost nothing. Like, I want to score highly on all of those statements. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and bet that you're not that dissimilar from me, right? I would guess that you want to feel or want to continue to feel extremely satisfied with your life, right? So, but if it's satisfaction of life and well-being that you want, you need to care about your personal growth. They're absolutely related. Far none, the most common sentence that I read on my client application forms is some version of this. My life looks great from the outside and I have lots to be grateful for and I have nothing to complain about, caveat, 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 but I just feel so stuck on every single application form in some version of this. And saying you're stuck is just another way of expressing that you just don't feel satisfied with some aspect of yourself or some aspect of your life or both. I can't remember where I heard this analogy. I actually, I think it came from Russ Harris and ACT. 
If anyone is an acceptance and commitment therapy expert, let me know if it did come from them. But anyhow, it's a good one. When you're stuck, you're like a mushroom in the dark up to its neck in manure. It's yucky. It's grody. Uh, (laughs) It feels like musty and sticky and gross. But if you don't move, right, if you just stay where you are, you can pretend that it's not that bad. In fact, you know what? It's kind of cozy. It's kind of (laughs) warm. Not bad. But we all know, we all know that you can pretend and avoid and ignore all you want. But being stuck in your own crap is miserable. It's miserable. So it makes sense. It makes sense to me that when people finally own that they're stuck and miserable, they want to get unstuck and happy ASAP. But when stuck clients tell me all they want is to feel better and feel better immediately, I know, I am pretty certain that they are going to struggle with leaving their pit of manure. It's going to be hard for them. And here's why. We assume that the opposite of feeling stuck is feeling happy. But the opposite of stuck isn't happiness, it's growth. And growth is scary, raw, vulnerable, effortful, and frustrating. And if you don't believe me, just ask your kids or your grandkids or your niece or nephew or whomever, right, who are engaged in the work of growing all the time, all the time. Growth requires that we change and we do things in new ways. And this learning curve doesn't necessarily feel good in real time. (laughs) It's type two fun. It's like that hard workout, you know, you're silently screaming like you have Tourette's while you're doing it and while you're pushing yourself. But when the workout's over, you feel that sweet relief. (laughs) And also, you know, you feel empowered and proud and energized and strong and all of those other good things, right? But before we get to feel good, we have to make changes. And that can also feel unbearable at times. But if we don't change, we don't grow. And if we don't grow, we don't get to have the sweet and unadulterated joy of feeling truly satisfied with our lives and ourselves, you know, and who we are in that life. Anyhow, the bottom line here is, The second reason that I think you should really care about your continual personal development is that the fruit of all of this vulnerable and uncomfortable and hot under the collar growth is your well-being, like your lifelong well-being. To live what, you know, the ancient Greeks called the good life, there seems to be one nagging requirement. You have to put the own up in grown up. So... Let's do that, shall we? Let's be renegades and let's do something radical and new. Let's take our own maturation as seriously as we do our children's. But, you know, like take it seriously with humor, obviously. And I will get off my soapbox and leave you with this. I have no idea what the purpose of life is or why we're here spinning on a ball in a vast universe. No clue. But I have an inkling It has something to do with change and transformation because that's what we seem to be doing from our very beginning to our very end. All right, Change Mavens. The next series of episodes will focus on our allergy to change at times. So if you feel like you're trying to drive toward your goals while stuck in neutral, you won't want to miss the next few episodes. 
For more dirt on today's topic, make sure to visit the episode show notes at drsashahines.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you can shoot me an email at hello at thechangelabpodcast.com or find me on Instagram at drsashahines. If you're enjoying The Change Lab, there are three things you can do about it. Subscribe and leave me a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the show with a friend or five. Or head over to drsashahines.com to check out the ways you can work with me and dive deeper into this work. And if you're feeling wild, maybe do all three. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next Monday.